From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, Nikki Haley, watch her space. Of course, she's had some rowdy arguments in those GOP debates with Vivek Ramaswamy. He hasn't told an F off yet, so I guess she's still in the good books. Uh, and just on saying F off to him or get effed, um, can I just say that on the chat box, I think people are not too concerned about Vivek saying what he said. Vivek is brilliant, says Chris. What did he say that was wrong? CNN are fake news. Uh, Daniel says the younger generation use the C use the C word like it's just another word. Um, uh, Daniel says when I was younger we would not swear in the presence of women or kids. What happened to that? Yeah, my father would uh, come at me very very heavily if I swore in front of other people. Uh, and I, I want to raise something about Nikki. You've got to understand where she's going. Uh, the presidential candidate is gaining some interesting momentum. Now, first of all, she gained some momentum after that big argument with Vivek Ramaswamy in the fourth debate. But now we're getting some additional information out of the latest CBS News YouGov poll, which was released on Sunday night. So Nikki Haley is gaining some momentum on President Trump among New Hampshire Republican voters, though Trump still holds a strong lead in the early nominating contest. The latest YouGov poll released Sunday found Haley has emerged as a top alternative to the former president, consolidating much of the non-Trump vote. Among likely GOP primary voters, 29% say they would vote for the former South Carolina governor, putting her 15 points behind Trump. That's not that far away when you consider we're 11 and a half months away. 11% said they would vote for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and 10% said they would vote for former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. No other candidate received more than 10%, which will make Vivak Ramaswamy not too happy. Maybe he'll, he'll be as unhappy as to say they can go and get effed. I don't know. I don't know, just guessing. Australia should hang its head in shame. We know what they did in the United Nations. They sided with uh, countries other than the United States when it came to a resolution over a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, that would be one of the first times in history that an Australian government hasn't voted alongside the United States at the UN. Well, it's happened again. As you heard in the news and as you've been hearing over the last four or five days, the United States is trying to put together some kind of a martyr, a multinational force of ships, destroyers, um, as a response to the attacks on various Israeli freight liners. And Australia has decided that it won't be sending a warship to join the armada. Uh, Lloyd Austin, who was quoted and used during that last news bulletin, um, announced the details today. It's called Operation Prosperity Guardian, a new multinational task force to combat attacks on commercial shipping by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. 
The US Navy asked Australia to send a warship to join the operation, but after the Albanese government made it clear in initial talks that its primary focus was the Indo-Pacific, it is understood the US has decided to modify its request. What if the United States says that its immediate concern was Gaza, was Ukraine, and we don't have really any time or momentum or interest in what's going on in the Pacific? What happens if the United States decides to do that to Australia? And if you have a look at the list, and I asked Shane Healy, the former intelligence officer for the list of countries that have decided to form this multinational force, and I asked him to send me that list, and I'll tell you who's on it. Joining the United States as part of this armada to stop these Houthi rebels, which sounds like a fair deal to me, is the United Kingdom, is Bahrain, is Canada, is France, is Italy, is the Netherlands, is Norway, is the Seychelles, and is Spain. Australia won't be there. Their interests are more aligned to the Pacific. Really? Really? You don't think that what may happen if Hamas is allowed to stay intact and in force won't have an influence on what happens in Australia? How thick are those who run in the military circles of the Albanese government to say something like that? We're not being part of your international armada? Boy, oh boy. It's a very different Australian government that seems to be working not necessarily in alignment with the United States of America, and I know exactly who we should be aligned with and it's not any other country. Let's let's uh, get on to our main interview today because I've got to say, uh, I find that just shocking. Earlier this month, the Australian Capital Territory in Australia joined Victoria in banning gas connections to new housing developments. Aside from the value of this in pure virtue signalling terms, the ACT Minister Shane Rattenbury claimed, research shows that electricity is the most efficient, affordable and feasible energy source to replace fossil fuel gas use. Of course, if that's correct, why couldn't the decision to disconnect from gas be left to consumers to decide rather than dictating another green regime? Why can't we decide whether we want to use gas or not? Why does it have to be you can't touch gas? Although we've got a whole heap of resources and re reserves of gas, you can't have it. Why do we have to be told what we can use and what we can't? It's funny, you know, five years ago, I distinctly remember reporting on what green climate activists wanted. They wanted no more coal, but they thought transitioning to renewables had to be done through gas because as you know, 50% less CO2 emissions come from gas use. And it was the right decision. I remember five years ago covering that, where the Greens actually thought that that was the way to transition. And now after watching the federal Labor government talk up renewables ad nauseum and, you know, spend billions and billions of dollars on subsidies for renewables, well, they've turned into short-sighted absolutists screaming for the end of both coal and gas now. Gas is no longer a transition fuel. They don't want any part of gas. And therefore, where are they getting their baseload power? They think they're going to get baseload power for the very first time in the history of the world 
through renewable power. That's what they think. Let's discuss these new green rules for new dwellings, slowly sweeping Australia, with our environmental economist, Dr. Alan Moran. Now, Alan achieved most of his academic credentials in the United Kingdom. He's the past director of the Deregulation Unit at the Institute of Public Affairs and runs the Regulation Economics website. He's an economist. He was previously a senior Australian government official with responsibilities that included regulation, review and energy policy. He's one of Australia's best known commentators on the energy industry and has published more than 30 major papers and addresses on the industry. He's authored four books, including three on environmental economics and has given presentations at three international conferences on climate change as well. Dr. Alan Moran is in Melbourne. Welcome back to TNT Radio, Alan. Hi, Chris, great to be with you. Okay, so we've got both Victoria and the ACT or Canberra. They're both ruled that there will be no gas connections to newly built dwellings. What happened to consumer choice? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, basically, why why let the consumers cho- choose things when you have these wise ministers who can choose things for you? and uh, indeed will doubtlessly choose them far worse. But, you know, the the whole notion is that uh, we've got this microcosm of the economy, which is called the energy area, which is totally controlled by politicians. And if anybody wants to do anything contrary to what the politicians want in terms of their choices, then it's not allowed. In the case of gas, uh, we're gradually uh, phasing out gas connections uh act is the first state to actually formally do it or state or state let to, to formally do it which it did earlier this this month um i mean that's destroying a network which is a, you know it's worth in the act's case is worth about 300 million dollars uh it's destroying the choice of people a, a lot of uh facilities a lot of people prefer gas for cooking a lot of restaurants etc prefer gas uh, some uh, major bakeries, of course, prefer, prefer gas. Gas is better for some things than other than, than electricity, yeah. uh, and it's not it's not to be allowed. Um, the, and uh, as you said in your intro, the the assault on gas is basically uh, not only on gas as a reticulated entity itself, but gas as a part of the electricity system, which it it, it served a very useful purpose, or it does serve a very useful purpose in a system which uh, is a commercial system uh, which would be based as a base load would be uh, in australia coal elsewhere perhaps coal and, and uh, uranium or nuclear gas would would flit in and out because it's actually cheaper to run uh, for a peaking plant it would flit in and out um, as necessary normally in, in australia in the past it, it was a five, five or six percent of, of the electricity supply elsewhere of course gas is much more important in the united states gas is actually cheaper than coal but you know all of this is political determinations, political interventions in what is a commercial matter. And um, if it's left to com- commercial considerations, then we get the cheapest form of en- uh, energy because we do have competition cutting. Exactly. Into. Once they start sticking their nose in on an economic basis, they usually mess up the market. And when you start messing up markets, you're starting to mess up something that's efficient and cheap. And we don't usually get something that's cheap in that point. 
That's right. I mean, the, the, this is underlined by the price. The wholesale price, say, of electricity was $40 per megawatt hour. It's now 100 and something dollars per megawatt hour. This is in the space of just a few years. Gas for, for donkey's years in Australia was was uh, uh, $4 a, a British thermal unit or $4 a mega, a mega uh, uh, units. Uh, it's now eight. Uh, because the governments have prevented new gas uh, developments and prevented yeah. new exploration. Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia, everywhere except um, Queensland and, and Western Australia. Okay. As I said in my introduction, though, I, I remember distinctly about four or five years ago talking about the latest platform about transitioning to renewables and thinking it was stupid. Uh, but then they were very, very keen on keeping gas in the system because it was the perfect transition fuel. That is 50% less uh, CO2 emissions, and it was the way forward. And all of a sudden, that's all gone out the window. What happened? Yeah, oh, just craziness took over. I mean, it, the ACT, for example, it, it's saying, okay, well, you know, we don't have gas because that's got, you know, it's, it's got more emissions than renewables so they say but i'm not sure if that's the case once you've included all the costs of construction etc but more than renewables uh, and we're going to go totally renewable uh, so we'll get rid of all all the gas in the act because um you know, uh, it's better still to go renewable but but you know essentially when you get rid of ga gas still is 50 percent less than coal so if if your priority is reducing emissions then you would prefer gas, as you said in your intro. Mm. Uh, you prefer gas because that, that's logical. But logic flies out of the window in this particular case. It's, oh, yeah. it's become just the, the talisman for uh, political interference and political determination. Forget about the, the rationales. Uh, some of these green evangelists have claimed that, you know, if we've got lower gas use, um, it's a way of fighting climate change and it'll reduce health risks from gas fumes, both are scientifically bulldust, aren't they? Absolutely. There's no, the, I mean, gas is uh, it, perfectly safe. You, even if it was unfluid, it'd be relatively safe. But it's all fluid. It goes up and it, uh, the, the fumes go up the chimney, etc. No, gas. Yeah, it, it, if gas had been dangerous, it would have been banned. It would be banned on those grounds alone. But they they say they said in the in, in the ACT case. Well, you know, uh, we we're going to get rid of gas because it does have some emissions. Uh, and by the way, there's there's a health benefit because people would die. Uh, what what is absolute bulldust? It's not possible. It's, it's just it's rubbish. Like they come up with no evidence of this. And so has the ACT done any due diligence or calculations on how much more baseload power will be required now, seeing that everyone's on electricity? No, no, no! <laughs> Are you kidding? That that's that would be far far too much great expectation from the point of view of the government. They may do it subsequently if, if they listen to a, a broadcast rather like this. They might go ahead and do it, but but no, there's there's no nothing like that gone on. Uh, the, the ACT, you know, pretends that it's basically a fully renewable uh, electricity network because they they've contracted forward for renewable energy. But in point of fact, of course. ACT is just a, a part of the New South Wales system, which is 65% coal. Uh, so the irony is if you get rid of gas in the ACT, you actually do have a net increase in greenhouse gas emissions because you can't get, escape from the fact that the ACT is 65% coal. It doesn't matter how they contract it, but the, the, the electricity that actually comes through, through the, uh, the apertures in your wall is basically coal. 
I want to take a break and get your insight into COP28. We'll do that after a quick break right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. We don't rock. Rock. We talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company. Just quickly from our chat box on TNTRadio.live, Daniel says, in reference to our discussion about the ACT and gas, the Greens are flip-flopping again. Yes, no surprise there. Uh, River says, happy to charge the EVs off the grid, though. And uh, Daniel suggests, well, hang on, no gas. We can just kiss the barbecue goodbye. What happens with the barbecue at that point? Um, One here, Warwick says, we used gas in the Philippines because there was no trees left to burn for firewood. And River says, oh, they want us to stop using wood burners over here. I think River is in the UK. And River is also liking what he's hearing from Dr. Alan Moran. Alan, uh, now at the end of COP28, there was a wishy-washy agreement to phase out fossil fuels, although no time span was specified in that pact, that agreement. These agreements are often rather dangerous in the hands of governments, aren't they? They are. You know, it was wishy-washy and it was phasing it out, what they said, in a just, orderly and equitable manner. You know, that's the normal sort of UN speak for... Maybe we'll phase it out, maybe we won't. Uh, but, you know, the whole point about these uh, these COPs, this, this is 28th, and the first one was in 1995, is that they make these statements and they kind of, everyone could say, well, you know, that's an ambiguous statement. And in any way, in any case, it needs legislation at a national level. So we may not be too concerned about it. But 
you know, we've had 28 of these. There has been, it's a drip, drip, drip of a tap. And basically we have now got worldwide something like 15% uh, of energy, electricity is renewable, wind and solar. It was zero back in 1995. It would still be zero if it was left to commercial considerations. But Australia isn't the only con- country with with crazy governments who are, who are self-inflicting punishment uh, on their people by moving to the, in these directions. So, you know, uh, we, we've seen this gradual increase in uh, a tightening and, uh, and requirements for uh, renewable energy. Uh, in contrast to the the economics of it, and we we are we hear ministers and our own minister our own minister himself is is guilty of this in spades, uh, saying, well, you know, not only is it good for the planet, but it's the cheapest form of energy anyway. And as we've already discussed, the, the more the more uh, uh, green energy we have in the system, the higher the price, and and mm. that is no coincidence. So we we've seen this uh, increase going on uh, through the cops. Uh, and, and we will see it having, uh, well, we would see it uh, if, if the uh, statesmen have their druthers, we would see it continuing to uh, have, a, have a, a sort of uh, a stringent and a, a corset type relationship on our, our energy supplies, uh, squeezing them, uh, squeezing the commercial parts of them and raising costs to the great disadvantage of those countries like Australia which uh, take these responsibilities seriously and 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 we we now have 27 percent of our our electricity through uh through wind and solar none of which is commercial when you say none of this is commercial explain that to my listeners well every single megawatt is only made available because there is a subsidy yeah. there is nobody putting any any commercial uh, any you know of their own volition putting any wind or solar into the system even on the, the household you and i are propping it up yes exactly even the household people putting on their own roofs think that it's basically because uh, they're being charged for it but in fact of course about a third of the cost is being paid for by other other consumers yeah uh, and it's but, but what 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 confounds me alan is that after they came up with this wishy-washy agreement to phase out fossil fuels the smile on Chris Bowen's face was like a Cheshire cat. So here is the global boiling minister, Chris Bowen, so happy that he's on the way now to crushing our second largest export revenue earner. Well, I mean, this is the this is the farce. Basically, uh, coal and gas is about thirty five percent of our of our exports. I've never heard of a, a nation before where its representatives goes before the World Assembly and says. Hooray! I have just signed on the line. I've, I've agreed everything, which is going to cut off thirty-five percent of our nation's exports. I mean, and and astonishing. I, uh, I mean, the man it, it really is some sort of mentally unstable, I, I suppose. Uh, but he's certainly quite crazy in terms of his his uh, following of this agenda to the great detriment of Australia. I mean, one of the things that you bear in mind in, in all this, and, and I guess a, a light at the end of the tunnel for those of us who are keen on avoiding uh, catastrophe, is that, you know, as, as the developing countries, and that means China and India and Indonesia and Vietnam, etc., uh, as they have grown in prowess, they have more and more influence, and some of the oil states have as well, and that's what we saw at the, at the Dubai meeting. Uh, and these these states, uh, whilst they go along with 
uh, happy enough for us to actually uh, reduce our coal and substitute uh, high cost things. They then do that. That makes them more competitive. They won't do it themselves. They'll pay lip service to it and they'll do something, but they won't do it in any big way themselves. And so that undermines the whole world, uh, the whole world intent, because these countries now are two thirds of the total uh, supply of electricity and they're not going to do anything. So, you know, the Western countries are basically flailing around saying they're going to do this and saying they're going to do indeed doing these things, but it's having no effect whatsoever, except in reducing their own competitiveness and therefore living standards. And we see that in Australia. Yeah, we're cutting our nose off to spite our face, which is just immature and stupid. And and getting back to what Bowen wants to do, he wants to make renewables the baseload power using batteries. That has never happened anywhere on the planet. Um, it won't happen in our lifetimes on Earth, will it? It can't happen, really. I mean, the the amount of batteries that you would need, I mean, essentially, that's what you'd need, especially for Australia, because we've we're not got a great deal of hydro capacity. The amount of batteries you need, you'd need something like 20 days batteries. The, the, the numbers are around the place. How much it would, would it, it would cost numbers like $7 trillion for Australia. $7 trillion sounds like a big number. This is a big number. It's three times our national income. In other words, we would spend three times our national income just to do what we're not, not to increase our, our wealth, not to increase our income levels, but just to stand still. Yeah. I and mean, it's a total waste. Yeah. Uh, G. Wiltek said in our chat box, Alan, politicians often have no work experience. Well, that's the case for Chris Bowen. They go straight from high school to politics and they still think like teenagers. Chris writes, blackout Bowen is a first-class imbecile, unemployable anywhere outside of the incompetent Albanese government, an uneducated ideologue reading off a script supplied by the World Economic Forum. Daniel says the ACT should go totally green and show us how it works. Now there's an idea, Alan Moran. Well, that would that would be very interesting because, there, as you said, there's nowhere in the world they find an odd little island which has tried to do that. Uh, one on the Canary Islands tried to go totally green, uh, but it's never made it. It's even a small island, windswept, lots of sun uh, that cannot go green. Even with massive backups of batteries, it still needs diesel to it to ensure that the lights stay on. That that would definitely be the case with the ACT. He's dreaming. Fabulous to have you on the program once again, Alan Moran. All the very best for Christmas too, by the way. And thank you so much for being part of the program. Thanks, Chris. It's been great to be on your program. Well done. Thank thank you very much. Dr. Alan Moran, uh, Regulation Economics. Isn't he fantastic? An environmental economist. For those who've heard him for the first time today, and I noticed people on the chat box had, um, he's a special character. Because what he does In this debate about the environment and energy sources, he puts the economics into the debate. And wouldn't it have been good if you uh, had a few economics and uh, economic masters sitting at COP28 in Dubai to talk some sense into these ideologues? Got to take a break. Got to get you some news. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. News. News. There is a difference. What's on the schedule for today? A little less yappity app and a little more news. Yay. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boylan here with a look at your TNT headlines. 
After weeks of intense seismic activity, the Reykjanes volcano has erupted in Iceland, with 100-metre-high lava fountains spurting out of a 4-kilometre-long crack in the Earth's surface. Following increased drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, the US has announced a new multinational task force to protect the key shipping lane. And Donald Trump has vowed to deport the largest number of undocumented migrants in US history if he's re-elected next year. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I notice I've got a few people on the chat box who are saying they're looking forward to seeing uh, Monica Smith and hearing from her. And one of them reading her book, Cell 22, we'll get to that very shortly on the program. But I do want to go to Dan, who's been waiting patiently, but on a different subject. And I didn't want to interrupt Alan Moran's momentum on that subject. But uh, Dan, thank you very much for waiting. Good to have you on the program. Hi, uh, Chris. Alan Moran is good, isn't he? Uh, I yeah, like it's, it's common sense environmental economics, and we need a lot more of it. Yeah, in fact, you know, he's got the numbers, he's got the facts, and he puts it in, you know, lays it out there. It's good. Um, but I was reading about the Red Sea. Yeah. And I, I actually disagree with you here, Chris. I, mm-hmm. I think the government, got it, the government got it right. Why? And it's not our shipping lane. It's not our trade. Gee, mate, we have fought wars right around the world (laughs) where territory and seaways have not had anything to do with Australia. Actually, we fought wars for um, the Suez Canal and the Red Sea. And in in World War II, our trade with Britain was crucial, Chris. But it's true that now our trade is in the Pacific. But, but it's not Europe. about trade. This is the mission we've been invited to be part of. That's purely what it is. And it's a mission that looks after Israel. And Israel is a democratic country in a sea of Islamic orientated uh, authoritarian governments. Isn't it not not good to support Israel? It's the, it's the trade between Europe and Asia. And it's the Europeans problem and the Asians. It's really China and India's trade that's being attacked here, Chris. It's not ours. Oh. And people need to take care of their business. In in history, no. I think our business is democracy. Our business is Australia, and mm. in history, no one ever went to war to protect someone else's trade route. Chris, you don't do that. You do not well. do that. If 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 Europe wants to protect itself, the, the Suez Canal is crucial. It's their problem. If India, why if were India, we in? Why were we in France fighting the Germans in World War One? Because we saw ourselves as part of the British Empire. And, and when the mother country called us, we well, went. We're not, we don't consider ourselves part of an allied group associated with the United States? It's loose. I mean, look at that. They're led by Joe Biden. We've what been in every theatre of war with them, Dan. I'm not answering his call. I'm not going to war when Biden calls. I'm not going to support the trade of the Europeans. If they can't say, why don't you go and drop a bomb on the Hooties and end it in a day? Send a battleship and blow them out from the face of the earth and leave me alone. All right. It's an, <laughs> interesting, saying, it's an interesting point you're making. I disagree. You disagree with me. That's fine. I understand I what like you're it. saying, but I think there's enough precedent in the history of war to know that Australia has been well outside its jurisdiction to fight for in an allied force. 
if, if everyone took care of their backyard and their business, this wouldn't even be occurring. Okay? If, okay. if Europe wanted to protect the Suez Canal and the Red Sea, they take their might and their muscle and their power and they squeeze the Houthis and it's over. Australia doesn't need to play this game, Chris. We need to worry about our trade with China, keeping that open. And that's okay. what keeps us alive here. All right, Dan. Appreciate your call. I've got to go, got to go to my next guest, but thank you very much. You do make an interesting point, and a lot of people would agree with what you're saying, and a lot of people would disagree with what I'm saying. But I think it uh, it goes both ways, and we've got to be available when we're called up to be available, and we have the hardware to take part in all of that. Allies are allies, writes Daniel. Allies are allies. Um, DRP says, this bloke's an idiot. If our trade route is under threat, who does he expect to help us out? China? I don't think he's an idiot, but he makes a good point. Um, but you have a view similar to mine. Chris says, unicorn, unicorn alert. Yeah, well, that's a view that we can't uh, take. I think we've got to be part of an allied force. We've fought in every theatre of war with the United States. Why are we starting to back out now? Now, one of the indisputable findings from the pandemic is that those who led any kind of movement against vaccine mandates and lockdowns were pursued by the authorities. They were cancelled on social media. Some were even jailed. One of those was Monica Schmidt who's been on the front line of Australia's freedom movement since August 2020 when she founded Reignite Democracy Australia. That was in the middle of Victoria's world record-breaking COVID lockdown. Now, Monica then hit international headlines when she was jailed for 22 days for refusing to sign draconian bail conditions after being charged with incitement. Her crime was to publish an anti-lockdown protest poster on social media for her followers, who, by the way, were a small number. Monica later published her book, Cell 22, and it's available at cell22.com, by the way, and I noticed some of our listeners have been reading that. But she continues to be a target, now accused of fraud related to a fundraiser. I thought it was time we gave her a chance to have her say because we know how many of those who stuck their neck up above the parapet during the pandemic and how many times they got it knocked off. She joins us now from Melbourne. Monica Smith, welcome back to TNT Radio. Thanks for having me and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Now, talking about things that you've been doing, you've just flown back into Melbourne after being on a lengthy tour of Queensland. Don't tell me you're another one of those... Melburnians who've decided to escape to get out of the state and set up in the Sunshine State, have you? Look, I won't comment too much on that, but what I can say is a lot of people have moved to Queensland from Victoria and New South Wales. I think uh, the Labor Party are going to have a very hard time ever getting back into control in Queensland because people have actually moved there intentionally to create a better lifestyle. So I think Queensland could be the safe the safe sanctuary for Australia, just saying. You, you make a very good point. The political exodus has been quite significant mm -hmm. and it was triggered, of course, by those horrible lockdowns during the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. I'll just give you one town, for example. I won't give the name of it because they can't handle the population increase, but it used to have 1,500 people and now it has 8,500 in a matter of what? two years. Really? And a huge... Yeah, yes. I, and this is just one town I'm talking about. I drove, like I said, I had 
18 events over three and a half weeks. And I used to ask at the events, you know, who, who here is from down south? And some of the rooms had 30 or 35% of the room would put their hand up. It is insane. And look at the no vote referendum. Yeah. If that's an indicator, um, you're actually seeing people leaving, like you said, places like Victoria. And unfortunately for Victoria, it's just going to make Victoria a worse place politically, unfortunately. Yeah, well, you're right. What impressed you about Queensland? That exact thing impressed me. People don't really care about the government because they're creating alternative lifestyles because they've got the weather, they've got the soil, they've got the humidity to grow things. So, so many people seem to be, and the vitamin D, I have a theory that vitamin D actually creates better brain function and it can be backed up with a few signs. Yes. So people are just more happy-go-lucky. They've got, and you know, when you have things organized for whatever might happen you're not as scared that's just a fact so i find the people to be very light and and uh just not not scared while you were in queensland you uh were also there at the time when the last of the draconian Mm. premiers anastasia palaszczuk was forced to resign the funniest thing is and some of your listeners might not know this only two weeks before she resigned she actually launched a huge re-election campaign what that means to me is she was not planning on resigning no, at all. In fact, no. she was starting record time before the election. It was like a year and a half until the election. So she knew she had work to do. Something obviously happened, which slapped her off to the resignation. It wasn't a choice. It was a necessity. Maybe the Labor Party forced her out because they knew that she couldn't get reelected because she has so many enemies now. But I really also think it doesn't matter what the Labor Party does. They're doomed. What about I'm, I'm Stephen, not Stephen that the Miles? Any better, but. I've got to say, Stephen Miles, um, he, he occurs to me to be a clone of Palaszczuk. Honestly, I know nothing about the person. Right. I can't comment. But I don't think, I wouldn't say it's a win necessarily that Palaszczuk had to resign because probably she had no choice anyway. But it is a win in the sense that we got rid of another tyrannical. MP, and that feels good regardless of how they resigned. Yeah, the last one now gone. Um, Now, um, your latest run-in with a Victorian government department, this time it's with Consumer Affairs. You were accused of fraud. What's the true story? Well, it actually doesn't say fraud anywhere. Uh, What it actually says is that I've been charged with failing to register a fundraiser. Now, if uh, you may not remember, but uh, when the fundraiser was created, I was in solitary confinement. I couldn't even get shampoo and conditioner. How the heck was I supposed to register a fundraiser that I didn't even know was happening and my staff did it for me? But the thing is, is what happens is they don't, people, when they see that, that article, all they see is Monica's being sued over fundraiser. They don't see the details that I'm being sued for failing to register the fundraiser. It has nothing to do with the funds or how they were used or anything like that. But it just So when you were inside, your staff just wanted to raise funds to make sure that you could handle the legal fight that was coming, right? Uh, yeah, that I was told after the fact. I had no idea it was happening. Right, and they and they did it from the goodness of their heart, and they didn't understand there was a complicated method by which you have to. Um, be part of to register such a fundraiser? No, they had no idea. I also had no idea. So what, um, so what really, happened? I, How did you find out you got it wrong? Like recently? 
Right. Yeah, like when they charged me. So, that, no, they did ask me to answer a variety of questions before they charged me, but yep. the questions were completely unrelated to the actual charge itself. They wanted all these details and, and I said, you don't need to know those details. That's not what the charge is. So then they charged me with not uh, giving them the information they asked for. So it's really just a clown show. And I don't know if all of these departments necessarily talk to each other. I'm not really going to st- stipulate that. But... um. I've got some big cases coming up. Of course, as you read, I went to prison for 22 days for not signing bail conditions. Then on the appeal, the bail conditions that I was refusing to sign got taken away. And then a few months later, the charges were dropped. So I was in prison for literally no reason. And they know I'm coming after them. And I don't know if they all talk to each other, but I just feel like this is just another distraction. It's another way to discredit me. And of course, the mainstream media have been running this story and it does discredit me to people who don't know better. And it takes away your resources when you're focused on something like the fight to get compensation for your 22 days inside at cost money. And then when you want to fight consumer affairs, that costs money too. And energy, which, to be honest, is more valuable than money sometimes. But I will tell you the silver lining is that every time they come after me, I get to use it as a bit of a publicity stunt. I didn't ask for it. So if it happens, I'm going to use it. And I always sell more books or I always have more of a talking point. And to be honest... I'm happy to do it. So, yeah, they picked the wrong person. <laughs> they did pick the wrong person. So you're going to be the uh, continue to be the feisty freedom fighter. So you're coming at them for locking you away for 22 days, even though they later dropped those charges. You've got to clean up the fundraiser situation too. How difficult is that going to be to clean up? Oh, I'm not concerned at all. <laughs> right. Because I have nothing to hide. So if I was hiding things, I probably wouldn't even want to talk to you about it because I would have this guilt inside of me or something like that. But I literally, I mean, I had a bookkeeper the whole time. It's all above board. I was using those bookkeeping systems. I'm I'm just going for the ride and whatever happens, happens. It's fine. Um, Tell me, tell me a little bit about the next dictatorial policy that you're after. Um, Because I understand that Victoria is pretty well convinced that a digital wallet is the way forward? Not the Victorians I know, but, you know, I'm surrounded by people like me. Um, But anyway, look, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't go cashless, for example, and it could be a whole array of different reasons. The the most obvious thing to me is that it saves businesses money on transaction fees. Um, But the other thing is some people, it's for the privacy and things like that. And we just need to show the RBA and the banks that we want to keep cash alive. And the way that we do that is by using cash as much as possible. And they will hear us and they will realise that they can't implement that. Because look, let's be honest, if I'm going to go a little bit down the conspiracy hole, if we lose cash and we have a digital ID, we could be in trouble. People like me, considering what happened to me, probably won't have access to their money. If well, exactly. Why would you? It's track, locked you know? up in banks and, and, and anyone could freeze it at any time, especially if you're part of the government. Oh, yeah. And you, it could even become a lot worse than that, of course. But, you know, we don't even need to actually talk about that with people who don't want to go onto those levels. You can keep with the save businesses money on transactions. And there's even businesses giving discounts now for people to use cash. It's actually become really, really popular. For example, in the UK, uh, they have recorded the highest cash use in the last 10 years recently. So <laughs> the cash campaign is massive globally. And, um, you know, the, Catherine Austin Fitz, I'm not sure if you or your viewers are aware of her. She's uh, an investment banker from Wall Street. But anyway, she said to me 
The more cash that's in circulation, the harder it is for them to bring in the digital ID or cashless society. So every time you spend cash, if you consider that you're pushing back against globalism just a little bit with your coins and your notes, it's actually quite empowering and you'll enjoy it. Trust me. I do. I love that. That's a fantastic campaign. And you're right. Cash is the way to go. And, you know, okay, it's for convenience sake, it's, it's, terrific to be able to use credit cards and and other means on uh, internet banking, et cetera. But you've got to be able to have cash. You've got to be able to remain independent, especially if you're in strife. I have a saying, conveniences are enslaving us. Yeah. And yeah, so it's uh, www.keepcashalive.com. We have awareness campaigns. They're really fun. They're really easy. They're, They're not confronting. It's just been a massive success around the globe. So definitely check it out, listeners. Keepcashalive.com. Yes. Fantastic. Monica, thank you very much. uh, Yes. Go on. Oh, oh, thank you. Um, Businesses are putting up these posters in their shop and very, very soon, like within weeks, their um, FPOS payments are actually halving and people are actually coming to them now and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't have cash. Like they're actually apologetic. (laughs) And so it's interesting because these businesses with this poster, not only are they saving themselves money on transactions, they're actually conditioning people to consider where their money is going and who's getting their money and who's profiting from it. And at the end of the day, the banks, all the four banks um, recorded profit record, record levels of profit last year. So really we should keep the money within our communities. It's a great pushback, and it's a great pushback campaign and run by someone like you with enormous energy, which is why we like you. Thank you so much for your time. Keep at it, and don't let them uh, push you down or or slam you down, no matter what for. Uh, you you uh, maintain the rage. Thank you very much for your time. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Monica Schmidt. There you go. They come at her in terms of telling people don't be forced into lockdown forced into lockdown. They come at her as well in terms of uh, a fund that's been set up to raise money, which is, you know, accounted for, which is all there to be seen, but because there's some red form that may not have been signed by her staff while she was locked up inside, they're coming at her again. That's what happens. We saw it time and time again. She wasn't the only one. Once you put your head above the parapet and say things against the government narrative, they'll cancel you. They'll come after you. They'll find a way to crush you. And that's what they've done with her. We'll um, keep across what she's doing. River says, keep strong, Monica. Thank you very much. Um, One here from Warwick says, if you go to church, they collect now with FPOS machines. They don't take the plate around with FPOS machines, do they? Surely not. It's been a while since I've been to church. I should go back for Christmas, but... Maybe just to check that out as well. Got to take a break and very happy to take your calls. Uh, By all means, plenty of things on the agenda today in the program. Maybe you'd like to have a say. There's no ceiling on opinion. We'd love to hear from you. From the United States or Canada, 1-888-201-6425. It doesn't have to be along the lines of what we've discussed during the program. It can be something completely separate and something that you would like to put on the agenda. From the UK, 033-0024-1025. Six and from Australia or New Zealand, one eight hundred six seven zero three one zero. Up next, I've got to tell you the story about Miss France twenty twenty three. This is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. If by some unimaginable 
impossibility. You're still trying to determine whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Ask yourself the following questions. Did you favor the Baphomet statue being erected at the Iowa State Capitol? Did you enjoy the school board swearing in on a stack of child pornography books? Do you find nothing objectionable about a homosexual sex tape being recorded in a Senate hearing room and posted online? And finally, did you just love the transgender nutcracker down a hallway hideously decorated by Dr. Jill Biden for Christmas at the White House? If the answer to one or more of these questions is yes, you might be a Democrat. In fact, you're definitely a Democrat. As for the rest of us, if you doubted that, in the words of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, this next election is the choice between normal of us, if you doubted that, in the words of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, this next election is the choice between normal and crazy, wonder no more. Last week said it all. From aginstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Couple of little comments on the chat box through tntradio.live. Daniel says, go girl, you go girl, he says. And one here, Lozzie, she's a fighter. And uh, I mentioned River saying, keep strong, Monica. There you go. You've got to keep strong because they come after you. She stuck her head in where they didn't appreciate it and they're coming after her. Now, the Miss France beauty pageant has been accused of going woke. Gee, that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? After it selected an adronymous winner with a boyish haircut. Now, let me just read the story to you and I'll have something to say after it. Eve Gillies, 20, was the jury's pick, pick in the final in... On Saturday night, which drew an audience of 5,000 fans and watched by 7.5 million on television. The French like their beauty pageants. Representing the northernmost region of France, she became the first contestant with a pixie cut to claim the crown. Do you like pixie cuts? People are upset that she won and she was wearing a pixie cut haircut and not long flowing locks. She said after her victory, we're used to seeing beautiful misses with long hair, but I chose an adronymous look with short hair. Woman is different. We're all unique. Now, in the lead up to the final, Miss Gillies had been outspoken about the need to diversify beauty standards and modernise a pageant that has been criticised as sexist. Um. She said on stage on Saturday, I would like to show that the competition is evolving and society is too, that the representation of women is diverse. 
In my opinion, beauty is not limited to a haircut or shapes that we have or have not. She has a very willowy figure, I might add, um, a very thin figure, but so have most people who win beauty pageants. They're very, very thin indeed. Miss Francis judged half on public vote and half by a panel of seven female judges. So given that, the viewers of the beauty pageant weren't too put off by the pixie haircut. In the final, Miss Gillies came only third in the public vote, but she was the pick of the jury. But still, third in the public vote is a very high vote to receive from the public. Social media lit up, though, with criticism of the judge's decision. Miss France is no longer a beauty contest, text said one, but a woke context, sorry, contest, which is based on inclusiveness. Another one retorted, maybe the new Miss France isn't gorgeous in your eyes, but seeing wokeism in her because she has short hair is just ridiculous. Is that fair or are they being cruel? The row took on a political dimension as left-wing MPs came to Miss Gilly's defence. Um, and this came from Sandrine Rousseau, a Green MP. So in France in 2023, we measure the progress of respect for women by the length of their hair? I think that's pretty silly as well. Who cares what sort of hairstyle she had? She's an exceptionally beautiful woman. Um Fabian Rassal, National Secretary of the Communist Party, said support for Eve Gillies, elected Miss France, who is already suffering the violence of a society which does not accept that women define themselves in all their diversity. Well, then she's not copping violence. Talk about a beat up, as someone from the Communist Party could only do. She's not copping violence at all. She's copying a little bit of abuse on social media, which, of course, she doesn't have to be part of. You can just block, 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 or just turn it off. As I always say, you can do all of that. Now, talking about France, this is very interesting to my Australian viewers. Right now, there's a defamation hearing going on in Sydney, as many would know, and it has been put forward by the person who was alleged to have raped Brittany Higgins in Parliament House in Canberra in 2018. Bruce Learman is taking Channel 10 and one of their hosts, Lisa Wilkinson, for defamation. But there's no further sign of Brittany Higgins, and that is understandable. She's had her time in the witness box, several days in fact, and she has left the country. She's gone to France. The latest information is, according to the Australian newspaper, that Brittany Higgins has left Australia for a possible new life in France, good honour, by the way, with fiancé David Shiraz following her appearances at the current Learman Network 10 defamation trial. Of course, she would have used some of the $2.7 million that taxpayers gave her to fund her trip to France and to fund her purchase of property there. The couple said goodbye to families and friends at Brisbane Airport on Monday night. Miss Higgins has reportedly bought her first home in a small village in the south of France, paid for by Australian taxpayers, of course. The couple said goodbye, Brisbane International Airport Monday night, and there was a few pictures that were taken by local photographers. The property is reportedly located in the village of Lunis in France and is a six-hour train ride from Paris and four hours from Barcelona in Spain. Miss Higgins, her parents Kelly and Matthew, and Mr Shiraz all wore white outfits at the airport. The women's suffragette 
colour, which Miss Higgins wore at the Women's March for Justice in March. The Albanese government awarded Miss Higgins $2.4 million in compensation after the criminal case brought against Bruce Learman, who pleaded not guilty to sexual assault, was aborted due to allegations of juror misconduct in 2021. She's off to the south of France. She's got herself a villa by the sound of it, not too far away from Barcelona. David Shiraz is there. I'm sure they'll find some kind of job. I'm sure that she won't be without a job as she claimed she would be, which enabled her to get the $2.4 million. That's a whole heap of rubbish. And I'm sure she'll live happily ever after. Don't you wish her the best? Maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm still at a loss as to what really happened on that night. We will come back at the same time tomorrow. Dean Mackin is up next on TNT Radio, followed by Katie Hopkins. Let's talk again tomorrow at the same time. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio.